All right. I think this, this is going, right? It's going, man. Yeah. Uh, this is the second episode of Ryan, Tyler's, and Bears on Mine. Uh, dog of the podcast again is Freya, and she w- – would you would you call them Matt Tyler? Uh, well, she's on her chill right now because it's uh, – Chilly 91 degrees in Seattle. 91 fucking degrees in Seattle. It's Do you remember being being this hot as a kid? No, because I remember the couple hot days we had for summer, me bitching at my dad asking for an <laughs> AC unit. He's like, an AC unit's too fucking expensive for central air. Just tough it out. But it, that was like, it really in reality was probably 80 degrees then. Yeah. And now we have, I mean, we can have up to 70 degree days in November, but global warming doesn't exist. No, no. No, all scientific evidence proves it doesn't. Yeah. Um, a little bit on that subject, did you did you know that climate change and global warming aren't the same thing? But they are... I just cl- knew it climate, all as climate change. Well, no, because cli- so climate change is just there's a, a progression in climate change at a specific place, but... I think the way my friend explained it, uh, global warming can influence it, but it's not its not the same thing. Well, you learn something new every day. I didn't know. I just figured we were DP in the earth and the I mean, climate we, change. I mean, we, we are. And, like, it's – I definitely think a lot of stuff is due to due to global warming. Well, I know, I know that what conservatives always say are, you know, deniers of this. They go, well – how can it be global warming if uh, in certain places winters are way more intense, like freakish winters? And I know that global warming is not the same thing as climate change. That, yeah, we're getting more extreme summers. Some places are getting more extreme winters. Yeah. Um, all around the world, it's just getting – everything's getting more extreme. Yeah. You know, but we're getting record droughts and all that shit. <clears throat> I know in, uh, in Seattle now they're, they're actually – building units with ac now which they never did when we were yeah i like, know uh my brother's apartment doesn't which is bs it's expensive enough really yeah uh but news in seattle this week uh well it's no news that seattle is getting gentrified no shit <laughs> <laughs> but um uh the show box is proposed to be uh, demolished and replaced for forty-story condo mm. units. What do you What do you think about that? I just think it's more of the same. You know, it, it doesn't come as a shock. It's unfortunate, but you'd be naive to say you didn't expect it. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that's my. Um, I don't want to say gripe with people because I understand why people are disappointed. If anyone's been to the Showbox, it's it's the best, most iconic venue here. It sounds great. It looks great. It's weird. I didn't know this till recently. There's actually springs in the floor, so if you're at a heavy show and people are jumping, the whole floor will will move. Wow. Probably. I mean, it's probably it's not a trampoline, but you'll you'll feel uh, the floor move. Well, yeah, it's high tech for the time. Yeah, I mean, so that that sucks. But when it kind of like there was a lot of people that are just like, no, we have to save this. In my opinion, is honestly, I. Save it for what? Well, and it's a sheltered point of view. It's the show box is so important to you because that's all you know of gentrification is something. Oh, the show box is going away, or oh, my favorite restaurant's getting bought out by a chain of just shitty upscale yeah. condo slash restaurants. Whole neighborhoods have been bought out and moved. Yeah, you know they pushed people out of. You know, no longer can you get you know 
even if you're a foodie or whatever, go down and get, you know, diverse cuisine from all over the world. No, every neighborhood in Seattle is turning into the exact same street. Yeah, and it's people who aren't into music, who mm-hmm. aren't into art. Um, I think the last the last place where you're going to find an artist in Seattle is, at least in a stereotypical way, is still Capitol Hill. But it, I mean, it used to be it used to be Fremont. When I moved to Fremont, man, that was the funkiest, weirdest place. Yeah, and dude, you go down, dude. All it is is it's bros wearing flannel. That's mm-hmm. all. That's oh yeah. That's all that's there. It's not even the whole hipster thing. It's it's legitimate bros. <laughs> Drinking yeah. bros, annihilate bros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that sucks. One thing I actually didn't I didn't put together till this week when me and my girlfriend went to uh, Leavenworth last week. People don't know what Leavenworth is. It's like a it's a little ski lodge town. Um, I mean, even though there's like no there's no real skiing out there, but it's like it's about hour hour and a half to two hours outside of Seattle. And they actually get winter there. They get a shit ton of snow. In the summers, it gets hot. Like, they have fires. But it's just just a cute, quaint uh, town with a Bavarian theme. So there's always a good Oktoberfest, everything. But me and my girlfriend were talking to one of the waitresses who was kind of an older gal for that job, I feel. Like, she was probably in her 50s. And she was saying there's a brand new apartment complex being built there. They haven't even broken ground yet. Every single apartment is already taking, taken because people from Seattle are doing it to either have a getaway or to just rent it out. For- I would think a getaway because or, – or renting because I couldn't imagine anyone – Well, no. No one's – I mean no one's going to live in those. Yeah, because where would you work? Exactly. And that – I mean and that's what sucks. I never thought a place like Leavenworth would feel the repercussions of Seattle getting so massively expensive. Um, oh yeah, and everyone who works in Leavenworth, you either work for the city, there is a school there, or you are in hospitality. Hospitality, services. yeah. Like you're either a shop owner or you're a shop worker. Yeah, you work at the Bank of America that's done in German script. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like so, yeah, they're they're not going to be able to. How are they going to afford that? You know, that sucks. And like, really, they only have they have a. They have a super peak season during the winter from mm-hmm. like um, like around the October – like the Oktoberfest season to probably I want to say like February. Well, yeah, because central Washington in the summer does not reflect a German-looking environment. It's dry. It's, it's dry as fuck. We went there. We, we hiked in a dusty-ass dry trail and it was awesome. I like, I like going to places like that in the summer because they're less populated mm-hmm. and I also just fucking hate the cold. So the like Whistler, Leavenworth, those places to me in the summer are way cooler. Oh, are great, dude. Yeah, I don't like the cold either. You love the rain though. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler's referencing one time when I said that California is too hot for me. So, <laughs> so uh, I I love the rain apparently. Which to be honest, now that I'm an adult, I fucking hate Seattle winters. Like I hate being wet that much. Yeah, a mucky mess there's moss all over the fucking place yeah i don't i don't dig it sorry are you in kind of consensus like let like let seattle do what it's gonna do it's it's i don't want to think that it's beyond repair but it's it's beyond repair I feel. I, it is beyond repair and it's 
there is nothing really to do but let it let it go how it goes. But I mean, we're broadcasting this from Kent, and that's only what twenty twenty eight miles outside of Seattle. Yeah, and gentrification is being felt down here huge. When I hear yeah. I hear such a chicken shit excuse from some people that say. They, and they weren't def- they weren't defending the destruction of the showbox in place for condos, but they said like, well, we have we have a homeless crisis, and the more places we have to live, the cheaper um, rent and the price of housing gets. And I'm sorry, that is utter bullshit. It is because any any condos that are being built in apartments, very few of these are low income um, transitional housing well, for yeah, people. In, and the reason Seattle is getting so expensive isn't because of a housing shortage. It's because the the wages the tech companies have brought are so much higher than what people made here before. Oh yeah. Um, like I, I, me and Tyler both grew up in the suburbs north of Seattle, and that used to be where working class people would get their houses. So you can either be where. Where me and Tyler were, where working class people can get like a house and actually have that kind of American dream, or you can go far further up north, which there were it was cheaper living. So working class people would either go further up north to live a very good lifestyle uh-huh. and have a bigger house, and they can get boats and they can do all their oh like fucking houses in Marysville, you know, yeah, you know, six exactly. bedroom on an acre, dude. I. I dropped my mom off in Marysville because she was staying with a friend. And, like, you're just seeing now young couples that probably have good jobs. But, like, they can only afford Marysville now Mm -hmm. because it's so fucking expensive. Well, that's what's happening because Seattle's driving this market that in order to be able to live in Seattle, you have to make an astronomical level of money. And it's even replacing people in Seattle that when I lived there – I considered rich Seattleites, no, especially I, your rich kind of educator liberal types. There was a statistic that if you if you realistically want to be buying within the Seattle city limits right now a house, like a standalone house, you have to be making $135,000 after taxes. Wow. So I don't know if that's a per, like one person in the household or they both need to. I'm almost thinking they probably – I would say they would both need to because in a – sort of north end Seattle neighborhood, Queen Anne and North, going up to like Greenwood being kind of the boundary. Uh, houses will go for, you know, on the low end, often 600000 then to 800000 This is for like a little two-bedroom bungalow. Yeah. And you're getting one – that's what sucks about Seattle. You're getting one type of person. And you're not even getting – Seattle used to be the mecca sort of for the, you know, say what you want about it, but the educated liberal crowd. Yeah. Now you're getting actual – white collar business yuppie types who might not even be that liberal minded. No. No. So it, it's really changing and it's being felt all over, especially the south more south you go, it's pushing everyone that was in Seattle and can't afford it, especially urban populations south. Then as the south becomes gentrified, those people are getting pushed out farther. Yeah, yeah, because the north yeah, when it comes to the north, the north has always been more well off than the south the south end. oh absolutely and now that it's even getting more more affluent man you you have to now move way fucking north mm-hmm. if you can buy buy a house and it's it's just it sucks <laughs> it really does I, you know i 
I don't want to say it's unfair, but it's unfair. <laughs> well, it is unfair, and it's it's the new type of economy we have that's always been leading to this, where we're a strictly consumer-based society. The only jobs that make any money are tech. They really don't produce anything. No one's producing anything. It's just a – it's jobs with exorbitant amounts of money, and no other industry can survive. I mean, hell, there's hardly even any shops in the city anymore. It's going to be banks and coffee shops. Stores can't even be around. No, because Am- Amazon owns us when it comes to merchant you know, retail. Yeah, why are you going to go to the store and get some clothes or a coffee maker? You have to ship to your door the same day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's – that sucks. Um, yeah, the thing – yeah, Seattle, Seattle's done. Well, and a lot of people are going to lose their livelihood because if you take away that much industry, even – I'm not even talking about factory, working class industry, just brick and mortar stores and production, you're going to end up with a real have and have not society. Well, well and remember just how, my, how much uh, how much stores had to close shop during our latest recession. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember in Ballard there was that flags of our father shop. They literally sold flags. Yeah, and I used to I used to get patches for you know my flight jacket there, and I thought, how can a shop that sells flags stay in business? And, and they we had were been around for like. And we were in the bubble at that when we were asking that question. Mm-hmm. We were in the bubble right before the recession. Yeah, and they had been around for something like I don't know fifty years. You know, probably old Norwegians in Ballard yeah. that owned a flag store. I remember store. if if they you couldn't find the flag they were they had they could order it for oh yeah if you wanted a full wall size flag of the republic of benin <laughs> you could you could get it there yeah and it's it's it sucks to say like yes that business seems ridiculous but it served a purpose you know there should be a store for everything you want to get yeah and they can't survive yeah you know really not much can you know Hell, I remember when Sunset Bowling went out in Ballard. Yeah, it was a dive bowling alley. But every was, city needs a dive bowling alley. Yeah, and well, and I'll say we need more dive bowling alleys because I hate this hip-to-be-bowling type of shit. Oh, let's turn it into an arcade and let's get some rave lights everywhere and make yeah. bowling hip. Bowling's not hip. It's smelly. It's – you wear gross-ass shoes. It's usually gross-ass dudes that are just drinking yeah. cheap beer there. Exactly. I don't want – I don't want my bowling alley to have a vegan option. No. Even though I would like to eat a vegan option, mm-hmm. but the thing is a bowling alley shouldn't have. I plan they, on drinking Bud Light at a bowling alley and onion rings. Exactly. And that's my vegan, and that probably has fat all through it. It's <laughs> animal. But. Yeah. But it shouldn't It shouldn't have an, uh, a flatbread pizza on the menu. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not American bowling. No. Bowling's for people living below their means. <laughs> You know, and the wife calls the bowling alley bar and asks for Chet. The bartender asks for Chet to come forward. Woman's on the phone. Yeah, I remember that. That um, that probably went out of business when Ballard was starting to change. Absolutely. You know, for anyone that doesn't know, Ballard was the home of Seattle's little Scandinavia. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids I went to high school with Ballard High, which it's I don't know how many Nelsons there were. <laughs> Ryan Nelson, Brandon Nelson, Peter Nelson, you know. So, uh, who was the guy that I worked with at Market Time and that guy's Scandinavian last name? Oh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, just, you know, six foot three. Blonde hair, blue eyed devil. Uh, yeah, just just the full the full deal. Yeah. You know, v- welcome into Ballard. Yeah, and that was Ballard to us, you know, and, yeah. and now Ballard is indistinguishable from Queen Anne. Fremont's indistinguishable from them both. And that's all the north. This we're talking about. This is north end, more, you know, 
lack of a better term, white city areas. Yeah. You know, you go down to Columbia City in the Central District, that's getting turned into gentrified hell. Yeah. You know, really quick. Well, it sucked because people of color lived lived in South Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was... I, I don't want to sound... Uh, weird by saying, but like, yeah, that was their neighborhood. Oh, it was. It was redlined from, you know, the end of Capitol Hill there. Yeah. Right as you go into First Hill, where the Central District yeah. started. And that's really gone now. You know, you basically, to get any diversity or any of that old Seattle feel, you have to pretty much be entering Renton. You do. From Seattle. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if there's any stopping it. It's... It's what's happening. People are getting pushed out. And I'm sure what we're saying here, it's true in Los Angeles. It's true everywhere. I mean, hell, going down to Long Beach, California, and it looked just like Fremont with palm trees. It was, it was nice to visit that, though. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, I loved visiting it, uh, seeing Sixer, but, like, why the fuck would I want to live there? Well, it's no different. It's it's all the same thing. This whole West Coast is becoming the same city. Yeah. You know, it's just the environment changes. Yeah. Uh, probably a good segue into the first song we want to talk about, which is Tyler's Pick. Yeah, because if we're going to rage against something, um, my first pick is Rage Against the Machine, the song Roll Right from 1996. And it wasn't one of their singles from that, that album. Everyone knows, you know, People of the Sun and Bulls on Parade. But to me, this song, this whole album, I think, is a standout. and It's their middle album. But it's good. And I absolutely love this song. The raps are good. And where the song really hits me is the very end when uh, Zach says, send him to the seventh level. And it pertains to what? I believe, you know, and I could just be, you know. Seventh, seventh level of hell? That's what I think. Yeah. It's it's Dante's Inferno. And he says, because their lives and my lives were never settled. How, so I know that Zach De La Roca was in a hardcore band before Rage Against the Machine called Inside Out. Yes, how did how did the formation and everything happen with Rage Against the Machine? Because they had their self-title, yeah. Which I knew a few of the songs, but they didn't get that Bulls on the parade, uh, Bulls on Parade success. No. What What was the development of this band? It, Do you know? It's an interesting band. I honestly don't know because the diversity of sound in that band is so incredible, and I think people focus so much on their radical message when they were around, but not enough people focused on how fucking different that band is. The guitar does nothing that you'd think guitar should really do. It's yeah. heavy, but it's not distorted. He's kind of like a DJ on guitar. Uh, the bass is pure funk and hip-hop bass lines. Yeah. Um, played with just one finger. Yeah. He, he never played. He plays with, as much as he can with just one finger. Yeah. And it's the stuff is good. And I like that it's... They got so grouped in with rap rock when that was around. Rage Against the Machine was not a rap rock band. Uh, but I remember I, Most Def talking about that. He was Zach Taylor Roca is, is a rapper, and that's and, true. I I think I understand them getting put in that uh, genre though, with the way Corn first started out, with the way Deftones were. Mm-hmm. Like we knew it was metal. We knew it wasn't punk. Absolutely, so I, and Rage Against the Machine. I think to me though was. M- Almost as much as you can say a pure hip hop act. It's just a little bit hip hop on speed, where it screams a little bit, it rocks, but the formation of the music never really changes from basically a rap song. Yeah, and like, did you did you ever listen to Inside Out? Yeah, I never have actually. And like, that's it's cool to see that he's he's just a genuine artist because 
Uh, his lyrics were super good in Inside Out, but Inside Out was was a strict hardcore band. Like yeah. It was, they they did anything you listen to. You're not like, like this is metal. Like no, this is fast, good punk hardcore. And I, it's it awesome. seems so fitting because when I hear his vocals, I. I always thought like yeah. this dude could so be in a fucking gnarly hardcore band. Yeah, and then the drummer, the drummer went on to be in one. He formed one hundred eight, which was uh, the Krishna core band of the West, of the West Coast. Okay, uh, so I, I kind of I find it funny that there's well, there's, how much intersecting goes on? Well, there's so much intersecting, but also not as much as just. Krishna core is somehow linked to Zach De La Roca, which which I think he has no interest in, <laughs> or in any spirituality for that matter. Yeah, yeah. You know that dude's a full time revolutionary, and I think he made he didn't make necessarily the musical sound of that band. I think those guys are all uber political, but he really drove the issues of that band. I mean, they went and did Audio Slave afterwards, so obviously he was the integral part. His dad was a famous Chicano, like muralist in L.A. with Cesar Chavez. Yeah. So I, I think he was just born and bred into that mentality. I'm really glad when they've started playing shows now recently again that they haven't talked or tried to look at doing new music. I actually just read a Tom Morello interview from yesterday. Yeah. And he was talking about that. And he said the reason we got on so good is we just hung out together, had fun, played shows, and it was always on the table that we were not going to do any music. We weren't going to come up with anything together, re-record, nothing. Is that, is that still the, the case? That's or? the case. This is brand new. This just came out, you know, and, he, you know, they're doing that Prophets of Rage, which seems cool. I mean, you can't go wrong with Chuck D and be real. No. But, uh, yeah, I think that's – he was just talking about the friction and why that band, you know, fizzled out. And I think Rage Against the Machine ended probably when it should, and I like that they didn't have a wealth of material. And I'm with you. I, I like bands – uh, that that kind of do that that what everyone else can look at as a a short lifespan mm-hmm. I love it because who's to say after their covers album if they just would have put out some just dog well shit. and did did Battle of Los Angeles come out after the covers or before that's a good question I, I don't actually, know I but I mean they totally had three full length original albums and they were released you know the first one I think what was ninety two then they Evil Empire 96, and the next one was all the way in 2000. And I so yeah, think Renegade, Renegades might have been 99. Yeah, Renegades, I think, was before. And Renegades of Funk was the only original song on that, and then everything else was covers. I mean, they did MC5, Minor Threat. That um, was awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, Cypress Hill. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good band. And uh, they're a band I always look back to, you know, just for inspiration. You know, not even so much musically, but they're just a great Band, I think the farther the time gets away from them and the more rap rock and the Limp biscuits of the world have faded into almost shame <laughs> that we might ever listen to them, uh, that band stands out. It's like, yeah, this was totally different. 100%. Uh, my, my pick for a song is Oasis, Morning Glory off their 95 album, What's the Story, Morning Glory? Morning Glory. <laughs> And uh, talk about a transition from Rage Against the Machine. A little different here. It is. It was only released a year before Rage Against the Machine. Yep. Um, everyone's everyone's going to say Look Back and Laughter is the best song in this album. I say fuck that. Morning Glory is the best song. You know, and I, I'm one of the, the hordes that <laughs> says it's, uh, it's Look Back and Laughter. Whatever. This yeah. song, but they're, they're totally different songs. 
I think Look Back and Laughter is the second best song in the mm-hmm. album. But you're still talking about the second best song from one of the best bands ever. True. Very similar to The Clash. You know? <laughs> Sandinista is the worst album, but it's the best of any album ever made from another band. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this, this song, to me, and the whole album, really rocks the most. It's probably the fastest song in the whole album, which doesn't really say much. Because it's just a, a classic rock British it, rock album. They're a good band, and I, what makes them so much better, even if people aren't that into the sound of Oasis, is how ridiculously absurd the band Oasis is. <laughs> I fucking love it. Dude. And I love I love that Noel Gallagher for being a legendary asshole. He's kind of like the Val Kilmer of music, yeah. who's known as like he's a terrible interview. I think people probably have diarrhea for a week before they're going <laughs> to interview him. And he talks shit on everybody and everything. I remember he. He had a petition for British, uh, for the British government to raise taxes because Phil Collins threatened to leave awesome. if, if taxes were raised. And so, no, one of the Gallagher's said, like, started an online petition, like, yes, raise taxes. I'm sure it was Noel because I feel like the other guy that Liam is just busy, like, fucking supermodels most of the time. Yeah. Like, Noel Gallagher, I read an interview once with just, it was like, I think, like a retrospective. It was probably 10 years before when i read it and people were bringing it back because it was i think during the the heyday of like some 41 if you remember that god awful music and whatever dude the, oh <laughs> dude and so they they said what, all killer what do you no think? filler is a good they album. said what do you think of some 41 Noel? they just they shouted out subjects to him and he said what he thought and he goes you know i'm actually really grateful i could live to hear the worst band ever <laughs> And to me, that was just classic. He's such a dick. And it's good. That little mushroom haircutted British man. Oh, dude. So goddamn British. So, so stinky looking. So, and so looking like his personality is that of like Sherlock Holmes meets like, I don't know if Noel Gallagher can be happy ever. No. He's too British to be happy. Yeah. He's just, he's cantankerous from the moment he wakes up. He probably calls everybody a cunt. (laughs) <laughs> you know, everything sucks. You know, his environment's gray. I, I love the band. They're, yeah. they're like the Beatles without the cheese ball ego of the Beatles. Just an ego of dickheadness. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, they never talked about uh, singing about something deeper that you couldn't reach elusively. No, they made good pop songs, usually about love or feeling down. And then personally, they were just. Yeah, I, I, you know what's so funny? Those two brothers dominate. I couldn't even tell you the names of the rest of the band. Yeah. The bass player, the drummer, I have no idea. Who gives a shit, dude? Yeah, it's the Gallaghers. They're very domineering personalities. <laughs> yeah. All right, so transitioning from that, uh, wow, my pick is uh, Sepultura, Born Stubborn from their 1996 album Roots, which it's kind of the stereotypical Sepultura album. It was their last one with Max. And he went on to do Soulfly. I think everybody knows the the history, but this album, man, we're hammering on the '90s right now. Well, dude, this is all midnight. This is our, I don't know, our heyday as kids. Funny, people say how the '90s sucked, or how like maybe the '80s was cheesy. The 90s music was fucking cool. Early 2000s music fucking sucked. Yeah, I don't look back on the 90s, even to the MTV songs, and go like, God, as much shit you can talk about grunge, knowing that Alice in Chains was on TV, it was cool. Yeah. I could turn on TV and be like, this band's fucking cool. 
uh, early 2000s was morose. <laughs> you know, it was bad. But uh, Born Stubborn, great song. Um, loved the beginning guitar line. Got kind of this Middle Eastern vibe to it. Well, this this album roots definitely displayed where Max Cavalera was going. It, it and did, what, and, I, and this is this is pretty much the first Soulfly album. And he took you know the spirit of the time, or if we really wanted to get douchey hipster on this, the Zeitgeist, <laughs> and he combined what you could call kind of new metal characteristics. They tuned down to B for this album, so I mean it's Good. Sonic Sludge. Good God, that's low. But they went fast as fuck and didn't have any of the lame cheese ball breakdowns that were Lint Biscuit and Corn and whatever yeah. that was. And then they combined basically it's almost like if Rage Against the Machine made an album that's thrash meets Brujeria. Yeah. And it, it's just a good record. Um I know it was kind of their swan song, and they—I think everybody in that band, whether it's Max or the Sepultura that was reformed, kind of coasts off this album. Yeah, you know, I mean, they just did a tour what a couple of years ago that was just them doing Roots again, Max and his brother. Yeah, you know, and I think it's a—it's just a great record, and I think it withstands the test. And I'm glad it ended though after this, because honestly, the first couple Soulfly albums, even though I was high on when they came out, they really did then fall into the new metal vibe definitely did and it wasn't until later when i stopped listening to soulfly that he got back into this kind of chaos ad era of sonic sludge meets crust yeah and just all out there very nail bomb but uh yeah great song great record and igor I, how long did e igor his brother stay with the band he was in it all the way up until God, he left maybe like mid two thousands, so he stayed afterwards with the reformed Sepultura. Oh damn! And uh, then left, and they do that Cavalera conspiracy, and God knows what else. I feel like they do a lot of just yeah different projects. I think he might be producing some stuff too, Cavalera. I, I can see that. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, and I think he's kind of a very uh, he's always going, and he always has been going. I think he was so. He was such a part of Brujeria and then his work with Jello Biafra and Nail Bomb and uh, with the guy from the best band name ever, Fudge Tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that record. So yeah, Sepultura Born Stubborn. The song fucking kicks. Yeah. Uh, my my second pick was the Proletariat Voodoo Economics, uh, which is 1982. So we were we were still three years out from being born. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm -hmm. Well, we can we can uh, get into that later, but um, this this is just a good uh, punk punk song. This is I think it's it's declared as hardcore. This was on the first uh, the this is Boston not L A. This fucking Boston man. <laughs> yeah, this is Boston not L A. Compilation, which had the freeze and other. Uh, Boston hardcore bands, and this is one of the bands. If I were to hear heard it younger, I'd be like, no, not hardcore. It's not from New York. There's no no breakdown. No, it sounds to, nowadays. <laughs> if I heard the song, I'd say, I was, yeah, a good punk song. Yeah, you know, it's more in line with Dead Kennedys and that type of. And deal. it is, and it's it's really it's really artsy. I feel. Yeah, odd odd breakups of the music. Yeah, uh, definitely odd arrangements, and the guy sounds. I mean, ridiculously British, but cool subject matter. Yeah, and, they're uh, just talking about how 
and the song is called Voodoo Economics, and it pretty much follows exactly what that slogan is. How, you know, we we tear we tell the poor to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's the classic tale of, well, in capitalism, if that person's rich, he worked hard, mm-hmm. and if he's poor, he's lazy. So don't feel bad. Yeah, he did something wrong. We were all born the same, and he fucked up along the way. Yeah, you which, know they don't tell you the true story. The majority of the people that own the wealth in this country started out owning the wealth of this country. Yeah, you know from their parents, and and this is 1982. So Reagan had been in office two years. And this was the start of the whole trickle-down economics, which was proven to be the most fucking disaster. It depends on who you talk to. Yeah, it's <laughs> ever happened. You know, the poor got poorer, the disparity, you know, it, it sort of put, I think it was the start, trickle-down economics was the start of the death knell for the middle class. It definitely was. Uh, there's, I, I was telling you a little about it, I don't know if you watched it, but there was a movie that came out in 2016 called Hell or High Water. And, yeah, I've not seen it yet. And it's Chris Pine and Ben Foster are, are brothers, and they're um, they live they live in Texas. Chris Pine's or their mother passes away, and had a reverse mortgage on her house, so the bank was buying it mm, back. Reverse mortgage. <laughs> yeah, so the bank the bank was buying it back, but recently they they sh- a company struck oil on their land. So the bank was going to make a shit ton unless these boys could buy it back. Uh huh. And so to do that, they actually rob from the bank that's has the reverse mortgage. They're they rob like six or seven banks in the span of two days. That's fucking legit. And they're just they're just uh, stealing enough to get get the mortgage back in their name, so that he can give that oil money to his kids. Wow. And at the end at the end of the movie, um, th- and this is a spoiler alert, but like Jeff Bridges, who's a detective trying to catch him, asks Chris Pine, like, why did you do it? And like and he kind of gets away with it, but he asks Chris Pine, like, why did you do it? And Chris Pine says, um, you know, my whole life I've been poor. My mother was poor, their parents before that, and so on. I had the chance to not make that illness come upon my kids. Wow. And that's why he did it. And I feel like it's like, yeah, like poorness is handed down like, like something like that. Well, yeah. Like, like richness is, yeah. you know, and it's, it's hard to get out. You can't start at the same level being born. If you have a, you know, a weight tied to your legs. Yeah. And you know? there, and there's always, there's always shit talked about when people are like, well, they, you can get student loans to go to college. You can get, you know, you can take advantage of this program to get your foot in the door. It, even if you're on loans to go to college to make a better path for yourself, it costs so much more in relation. Oh, it absolutely uh, does. From a poor person to a rich person. Yeah, that doesn't pay for close to the complete cost. And then what it does pay for, you're up to debt and fucking eyeballs for decades. Well, and also too, like... A person like myself, like I mean, I I ended up with with a good job and a good career, but um, you know, I could have. I'm not very good at school, like just the uh, the academic the arithmetic of it. Yeah, I like I'm just I'm just not that good good on it. So a student loan for me is worthless. Like yeah. if I'm gonna if I'm going to fail a class, like what what, what good is a student yeah, loan? You want to pay me? a buttload for it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And. 
you know, I and I'm as I'm older, I could definitely do school a lot better than when I was when I got out of high school. I think everybody could, man. Yeah. You know, and it's it's one of those things that do you want to go back? Do you not? And the the education system in this country is a joke. Yeah. You know, the disparity even in public schools, but higher education, it makes it damn near next to impossible. But if you if you look at if you look at what people pay for for anything, it's uh, the percent taken out of someone who's poor to buy even food that theoretically costs them more than what a rich person pays for food. Oh, absolutely. You know, because it's taking less of a chunk out of their their wallet. So, yeah, I mean... Well, it's just another roadblock in how we have such, you know, disparate classes in this country. You know, it's it's, you know... Richness is hereditary, poorness is hereditary, and to get out of that is very tough. And they'll always look to the couple stories of, oh, this person was born poor and started their own business from the ground up, and oh my god, they made it. So y'all can't. And it's, the real world doesn't work that way. Yeah, and also, too, that can only happen a certain amount of time. Exactly. <laughs> Not everybody has the idea that catches on and yeah. is incredible. And people shouldn't have to have an Elon Musk idea, mm-hmm. which is bullshit to begin with. And we, we could talk about that. I can talk time. about old Muskie a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like you, you shouldn't have to have some life changing idea to catch a break. No, because I, I feel the moral thing to do as the supposed moral Christian civilization would be to guarantee people basic existence. Yeah. And it's up to them what they do with it. If they, you know, there's nothing wrong yeah. if one wants to be a carpenter, one wants to be an artist. You should have your basic life taken yeah. care and of. And really, like if you ask my opinion, like what's it to me? What is it to me if someone wants to be an artist more than a carpenter? Yeah. There are literally people that will go insane if they're not working. Yeah. I, I work. I work with those people. Like we're working for them is is joy. Yeah. And I'm like, and I I don't I'm not I'm not trying to say. It's like, oh, like, yeah, some people just love hard labor. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But, like, there's a lot of people that like the, the, like, the construct of having a job, going to work. Absolutely. And everything like that. There's also the person that, you know, likes to be the, the artist. We're, we're told in our capitalist society that, that if you're, if you're doing art and if it's not paying the bills, you need to, you need to. Not even worry about art. Yeah. Like that's a waste of Well, because they say it's not benefiting anything because they don't allow a lot for that many different types of trades can benefit society. What would society be without art and without music? Yeah. You know, you need those people. You need many different aspects to form a well-rounded civilization. And we, we lean more towards utter consumerism and really no allotment for a, a soul of a country. No. You know, and people aren't able to pursue that the dreams and ideas they may have because they have to struggle to get health care, yeah, to get housing. And I've I've never said this. Obviously, this is our second episode, so I haven't got the chance chance to say this on the podcast. But we were talking about earlier with Amazon Prime just monopolizing over brick and mortar shops. Mm-hmm. Amazon Prime is designed to keep you working. They're telling you that. You don't need to go to the grocery store. Um, you don't need to leave early from work. You don't need to leave yep. to, to do these errands. We can take care of this all for you, and you can keep being productive. Yeah. you know, And that's what we're leaning towards. And it's 
that's an interesting way to think about it. I don't think a lot of people have gone to that level. No, they don't. Every everyone else is like applauding them for their convenience, and I will say their convenience is awesome. It is. <laughs> you know, like they and they they have done something revolutionary in the way that we shop now, and it's really has not been that long. No, old of a company. And I forget what it was like to shop before, but in a way, they it's what's interesting about it too. They take the joy out of getting something. They do. You know, you can. You don't have to go. Oh, I need to look. I'm working on my car. I need to go to. I need to go to the auto store and get this and this part. I need to order it in. And yeah, that may seem like an inconvenience, but with Amazon, it's everything is just boom, boom. There it is. Yeah. You know, people for leave packages. I've seen it in Seattle on their doorstep for a week because they forgot they ordered something. Yeah. You know, and that that's what we're getting towards. You know, I bet people buy ten times more now. Oh, oh yeah, because it's a click away. Yeah. You don't have to go. You don't have to miss your favorite television show. Yeah, and you, you know? don't have to budget for it. You just pay for it. And, oh, you figure it out later. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking it's weird. It's weird to think about, and people people don't. They just look at the convenience and absolutely. And there there's a there's a thing I think in especially Seattle doesn't see it because a lot of people who work for Amazon here are in their in their tech side, which those people get paid very well. Oh yeah. They get paid. A lot of them start off making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. But the thing is their warehouse workers just get, they get paid just dirt. And from what I've heard talking to people that have worked there in the warehouse, you know, they get ran into the fucking ground. Yeah. And like, and especially here in Seattle, I'm sure it's everywhere. Like you're hearing the really successful tech recruiting guy who does make a hundred grand he's like no i i love it it's awesome and i get i get my own amazon prime account and just everything's great for me you're not hearing about the guy who's working you know yes a few a few of their warehouses are probably union um supported or represented but a majority of them aren't. Yeah, and in this country, being union supported doesn't guarantee you much except some basic fundamentals. You no, know? every I've worked in the warehouse industry before. That was the first job. I I've just never had any hope for my employer. Yeah, uh, they the only reason people have a job there is because they were there the day before. Yeah, because if you if you choose to show up show not show up the next day. It's no sweat off their back. They'll just get another person Absolutely. to do to do the the job. That's yes, it's monotonous, but it's also very hard on your body because mm -hmm. you're not and hard on your mind too. Yeah, it's very hard on your mind. I was I was inside all the time, and I don't I don't want to bitch about that because it was a good job for what I needed at the time. But that employer was was just numbers oriented could not give a fuck about me one bit. And that's pretty much all commercial warehouse. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure I worked for a, a better one than most. Uh -huh. Um, but yeah, that, and that's, that's not fair. We, we need to have the right to a, to a living, a living wage that doesn't suck the happiness out of us. Oh, absolutely. And people are too focused on, we have to struggle for the basics. And there's not much joy when you're trying to pay you know, if you get sick, yeah. You know, if your kid gets sick, you know. It's, but you know what? You know what? Enough, enough politics. Enough pontificating. Yeah, yeah. God, I yeah. just hate getting political. Up here in our Eiffel Tower, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
the next song we're gonna keep a th- we're gonna keep a little small theme of uh, speaking in German. Yep, yep. Deutsch. So this next song is from one of my all-time favorite bands. It's, I believe, one of Germany's oldest punk bands. Uh, Die Toten Hosen might be, might be older, but I don't know if you classify them as punk anymore. I, I can't comment on, on that. Uh, you saw one of their videos one time. You're like, oh, God, this band sucks. <laughs> uh, but uh, this band is called uh, – it's normal in German, normal. And they changed the spelling of it, I think, as a joke to sound German. How do you Because normal, normal in German is spelled the same as normal in English. Okay. But it, they're – with M-A-H-L, they're enunciating the sound that you make in German, which is yeah. mal. Yeah. And the song is Schneesturme, which is snowstorms. And it's it's a love song. There's not too many love songs in, you know, especially punk bands and that that I'm into. But – Love songs done in German. It's got to hate the word epic, but it's always way more epic. <laughs> um, translating this song into English, you know, doesn't really work. Yeah, know? I mean, and this this is very much one of the instances where we we listen to foreign language music, so we don't have to hear the cheesy lyrics about a love story that's like a snowstorm. Yeah, because if I was listening to this in English, you'd be like, eh, I don't know. You know, first off, it wouldn't flow in English. Okay, for, you wouldn't be, eh, I don't know. You'd be like, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, but just the way in in the chorus of this uh, this song in English would be, all the days with you were wonderful. But in German, it sounds fucking legit. And it sounds moving, whereas a lot of English rock love songs, you know, they're not moving. Yeah. You know they're cheesy, but it's it's a good tune. Uh, the the release I have that it's on is from two thousand two. Uh, I believe this song was first recorded mid nineties, probably ninety five or ninety six. The intro to this song has like a good flange pedal, which very much makes me feel like a like a new wave song at the beginning. Absolutely. What were their influences? Well, you know? I don't know so much because when you hear uh, Normal's first releases, they're a as we would say in the early eighties a hardcore band. Uh, but very much in line with uh, without the funny edge to it or West Coast vibe. Obviously, it's Germany, but Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, that type of stuff. I mean, they even did Stuttgart Uberalis, you know, on their first release. Yeah. And uh, they've always remained intensely political, but they became more more of a melodic punk band. I know in in Germany for a time they were even classified as a genre called fun punk. Really. Which to us, being Americans hearing it, it sounds like good old straight catchy punk rock meets oi yeah germany describes because some of their songs are about drinking and having a good time as fun punk uh but obviously always been an intensely political band this is just a love song but it's it's good there's so many songs from normal that are great and they're just because of the language barrier such an unsung german band well they had a song on the euro trip soundtrack right yes which is uh I believe it was kind of Überdosis Deutschland, which is a song all about racism and immigrant violence in Germany, which obviously the creators of Eurotrip had no idea. <laughs> and they, was, they used it for like – I think it was on some fucking beer fest thing you know, that they were yeah. having. Um, so yeah, an intense song. That was one of their, I'd say, bigger hits in like the, the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, good intense band, good guys, and uh, they're still doing it today. My the last song, my last pick, is by far the youngest song on this list. Well, actually, that we've ever picked so far. So far, 
second episode in. Yeah, true. Uh, but this is 2010, the band Tears, Keeper of the Faith. And I feel I, I've seen seen Tear a good handful of times. And I, I always found them in my head like, oh, they were – they were kind of a newer hardcore band. Mm-hmm. Like they had one with the underdog, and I can't remember their. I can't remember their. Uh, oh, always the hard way is their second album, and those were those were fucking amazing hardcore records. But I still never put them on the pedestal of the original of Agnostic Front, Chrome Eggs, and Sick of It All. Mm-hmm. I just always thought that they were they were like the new guys. Well, they were in the that sound to me. It's so fucking hard. It is, and it's they they took you know the breakdown vibe of New York hardcore and made a band off hard metal. Yeah, you know tunes. And but I think I think now, especially with their music, but now you see them, they're not they're not a new a new band anymore. Like they're, they are a legacy band to me now. Well, we're getting fucking old dude. So yeah, like I saw true. terror a few times, probably starting in maybe God, 2004. I saw him, I think in 2006 or seven, you know, um, but I'm forgetting that's a long time ago now. That is. Yeah. That so is. they are an old band yeah. and we're old. Yeah. But, uh, keepers of the faith, I think, I think they kind of got some flack for maybe like selling out on this album. Like this dude, side note, does any hardcore punk band at any time never not get accused of selling out? Uh, Sheer Terror never did. Yeah, I'm not really a fan <laughs> of that band, though. but like yeah. you know, that band was like, honestly kind of a joke band in my eyes. I'm sure I'd get so much flack for oh, that. Oh, dude, you would get torn apart. On yeah, that. you know, that's to me always like it was so odd and like I think the lyrics so snarky that I took it as kind of a funny band. Yeah. Uh, what other bands just never sold or like, yeah, there was never a conversation about them selling out. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a lot of them, but there's, well, like sick of it all got accused of it. We covered that in the last podcast, you know, that they, it's funny that has agnostic front ever been accused of selling out? No, but one thing about agnostic front, I think is that they've been around so long and are the flagship band of that genre, but never reached I would say, you know, the popularity of a band like Sick of It All, where, they, yeah, you would see Agnostic Front videos, but I think their sound was always so much more raw. Yeah, and I feel like they they were always, people gave them respect because they knew they, they made what New York Hardcore is. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, they the, the bands that were spawned off them, I think probably your, your layman citizen might... You know, yeah, it's still underground, but a lot of people will know who Sick of It All is. Yeah. You know, Agnostic Front, maybe not so much. But Keepers of the Faith, the the Keepers of the Faith album, I think came out on Century Media in 2010, was produced by Chad Gilbert and Newfound Glory. And he, I think he he wrote with them a lot. No, for real? Yeah. And I, I honestly think that's the reason it's so fucking good. Is that their singer or the, no. uh, the skinhead guy? Uh, oh, the uh, like the guy who looks like a, a skinny. A skinny yeah. yeah, I can't. I won't say that, but it's like the guy that really hardcore does skinhead <laughs> imagery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, that was him. And he's he writes all the newfound glory uh, music and I think lyrics too. Okay. Like that's pretty much his band, I believe. You've always been a pop punk guy, dude. Mm, I besides what I what I've it. seen or been forced to listen to by you, <laughs> I. 
I've never really got into it, and I think it's the voice that does it for me. I love the, the nasally vocals, man. I never understood that, dude. It's like it's like a pizza delivery voice, but without the cool surfer I, edge to I it. I will say I, I've i grown out of it more. Like <laughs> I you, love you, man. <laughs> if you were if you were to show me a new band who's doing that that kind of nasally voice, I'd be like, eh, no. Like, that's not yeah. – that ain't but man, you were you had a hard on for it, dude, dude. I'm still into it. Yeah, it was it was something. <laughs> you know, I still love Blink 182. You see, now I do like Blink 182, and I can tolerate their voice, but I think it's because I was so young when I heard it, I got kind of yeah. acclimated to it. Yeah, I grew older when I heard a lot of these bands, and like it was the voice that did it for me, man. Uh, but this this song is about. Uh, I'm assuming maybe keeping the faith. <laughs> uh, this song is about. The, like the the original guys that got Scott Vogel the the singer of Terror into hardcore. Okay. And so he just saying the keepers of the faith are the the old bands who are still doing it and still repping hardcore for what it is and that's um, legit, man. Yeah. So the and this song the the music on this song is so sinister. This band's brutal, man. It that's is. that's I think the key to it. You know all these riffs like that man where they just ride you know these these kind of bands is they ride e f and low e yeah and that's that's it it's slayer and a breakdown and you, constantly and really i don't i don't want to hear different things no <laughs> dude i want dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah they they kick ass yeah. so this uh yeah so they, they got i think they got some flack for this album just for selling out like most hardcore bands do but was it because of century media which is more of like that's still an indie label but a lot of like that's a lot of like speed and prog metal. See, on like there. I don't, I don't know, and like you know, maybe I'm wrong because like when this came out, I wasn't really hanging out at shows anymore. I really didn't even hear this song until, you know, a couple of years after this came out because I wasn't, I wasn't uh, listening to it. But I just heard, I heard some guys was like, oh, was like, I don't know, like they're just not as good as they used to be. Like no, I'm sorry, this is when. They got popular because they started writing really good fucking. Oh songs. yeah, man, and I won't go on about it because we're running out of time. But the uh, we'll save this for another episode. The player hating in the punk and hardcore scene—it's oh. player hating without any good disses. <laughs> you know, it's like the player haters ball of I'm fucking bummed out because I never played an instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, kind of transitioning off the hardcore vibe like this. I know we're not going to spend too much time on our Age of Quarrel discussion. But I mean, no, I think no. it's warranted. Um, you had some info about a recent development. Yeah, uh, Harley Flanagan. This hit me, by the way. This was kind of like I don't know how to feel about it. I'm a little bit. I don't know. Go ahead, man. Yeah. But Harley Flanagan recently released the the demos of Age of Coral with. Apparently... And if people could see you now, you did you did the hands as demos. So you're questioning maybe the authenticity yeah, did, or I time. Did, I did I did quotations. It's yeah. questionable. Yeah. So he's he's releasing. He's releasing demos with him on vocals to to say that he wrote Age of Coral and not John Joseph. Okay, so continuing, we thought this beef had kind of been done, but he's continuing on. He's thinking this is this is final now. Yeah, but the thing is, he's not. He's still not addressing that we wrote the album. Well, it doesn't really matter who performed it. I, I can. I'll tell you to the day I die. That's not me singing on the Age of Coral. That's John Joseph. Yeah, yeah. I we aren't even playing the instruments. No, but we wrote... We wrote it. We were too busy doing our own thing, but we wrote this kind of forum. We, we were hanging out. Um, 
But I kind of on to the authenticity part, dude. Do you think this was recorded? And when is he saying this is recorded? In 1985, maybe. Right I before. I don't know. All I know is that he he released the demos with him singing. And who's playing the music? Is it just him on bass by himself, <laughs> or is this? Does he have Mackie and these dudes? That's a good question. Well, like Doug I, Holland and Paris. Mania. Like I said, I didn't. I looked as much as I looked into it. I w- it was pretty much just me being like. How can you have a demo if you if you never wrote it? Yeah, and I mean, I I guess I can understand. Let's just take let's say it, this is truthful. We wrote it. He was he was we gave him the songs. He's jamming them, and he recorded a demo. It's odd that we never with in the punk world, man. How often have you heard the fucking demos? It's always released, or it's a B side to something. Yeah. How come we never heard these demos until God thirty years later, thirty two years later? Yeah. yeah. Seems a little. Uh, something's rotten in Denmark, as old Willie Shakespeare would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very good point. But that's that's all we're gonna say about it. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna harp you. One thing is, you know, we don't want to beat a dead horse. But no. uh, I think we'll just continue to kind of, as things come up, we we want to bury this. But it seems like these certain people Absolutely. keep bringing I mean, it like, up. Yeah, we want to bury this. We got our own band. Yeah, we have. We now have a podcast. Mm-hmm. We both, both you and me, are working guys. We work. Nine to five, five. We work forty hours a week. You know, yeah, and I'm I'm proud of those songs that we did all those years ago. But it's not. At some point, people got to move on, man. They do. You know, and it's it's you can only beat it for so long. Yeah. But uh, anything else you want to add to this episode? We talked about Seattle. We talked about more music. Yeah, I think we'll end it to you. It is hot as balls, man. We're sitting at at the same place in front of this old. Uh, you call it a cactus. It's actually an agave plant. Oh, uh, yeah, I've never harvested any of it, but it looks cool. cool. Uh, it is fucking hot, man. Yeah. You know, I think if it's 91 outside, I don't know what my house is right now. 98 probably. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's probably let's probably cut it till till the next time. All right. Auf Wiedersehen.